Okay. <laughs> I am beat. <laughs> that was an example of the Senegalese national sport, which is called la lutte, which basically just means the fight in French. And it's a wrestling thing that they do, and everybody likes it. Everybody watches it a lot. And it's very exciting and important to the Senegalese. <laughs> it's a national pastime. Um, it's kind of like soccer. They watch it on TV, and all the little boys play it on the beaches. Um, there's two different times. <laughs> there's um, with hitting and without hitting. It's pretty, that was without. So, um, welcome to Senegal, Senegal Convo 2008. Assalamu alaikum. Um, that means peace be with you in Arabic. And it's the normal way to begin a proper greeting in Senegal. One of the most challenging things about the Senegal SST is the diversity of languages we were expected to learn. Although it is technically a French speaking country, the predominant language spoken is actually Wolof, which is one of about a billion different African dialects. Um, and this was a challenge to learn for us sometimes and gave us some things to work at. Um, <laughs> I don't know where I am. Yeah. However, it didn't take us long after our arrival to Senegal to realize that learning the greetings was really the key to survival in Senegal. This isn't necessarily as easy to accomplish as one might expect. While in France, one could get by with a simple bonjour, the Wolof version takes a little longer. Emily Doherty and Alison Christensen will now demonstrate the way to greet someone in Senegal. This is Wolof. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Nangadeth? Mangifi. Yanak? Wow, mangifi. Sava? Sava bien. Naka subasi? Wow, bien merci. Ah, sava. Oui, sava, merci. D'accord, mangidem. D'accord, bonne journée. Babenin. Au revoir. A tout à l'heure. Okay, so for most places in Senegal, that greeting will get you very, very far. However, Emily, Allison, and I, and a couple other of um, our group members, got the experience to um, confuse our language attempts even further by experiencing the first half of our service location in a small African village called Diofior, where everyone spoke not Wolof, but Serer, which sounds exactly like Wolof, but is actually completely different. After three weeks of trying to just learn the basic greetings in Serer, we all determined that it's actually impossible. This is because the greetings are composed of random prompts and responses that have to be memorized, and they vary depending on the time of day. Also, we could never get anyone to tell us what any of the prompts or responses actually meant. So now Allison and Emily will demonstrate the Serer version that roughly translated means good morning. Bado, bere jam, jam som, jam rek kai, anyadiabo, andigirek, yohenasa, undikirek, 
Ça va. Ça va. Et toi? Ça va bien, merci. D'accord, on arrive. D'accord, bonne équipe. Io. As you probably know, uh, each SS tier has to do a final project. Mine was uh, a series of personal essays that I wrote about my host brothers from the first part of SST in Dakar. And this particular piece is about my eldest host brother, Pop Njai. My relationship with my host brother, Pop Njai, deteriorated the longer I stayed in Dakar. Though he spoke proficient English, I tired of his conversations most of which revolved around three topics. His opinions on American culture. Two, reasons why I should get a Senegalese girlfriend. And three, rants about international politics. I just didn't live up to his expectations of an American student. Whenever we were in the same room, I felt scrutinized, as if he expected me to add novelty to his life. Consequently, I began avoiding him. Our lowest point came on a Saturday evening. I returned to the house and found Pop in the courtyard eating mangoes. He offered me a slice, so I sat down to eat it. It's Saturday, he said. What are you up to, Tubab? Tubab is the Wolof word that means white person. It doesn't have any negative connotations, but we were all called that a lot. I don't know, Pop, I said. What are you up to? He stood up and slapped me on the back. Finally, you want to do something. First, we'll go visit my friends. Without knowing what I'd committed to, I followed Pop a few blocks from the house to where a group of his friends loitered around the entrance to a boutique. Pop pulled up a chair for me. He sat on the bumper of a car, leaning forward with his elbows on his knees. He began listing on his fingers all the things we could do that evening. We could go to a restaurant and buy delicious meats. We could find a bar where we could talk to women, or we could dance in one of Dakar's most reputable or infamous clubs. At this point, I cut him short, admitting that this kind of nightlife didn't interest me. Everything in Dakar is too expensive and starts too late, I said. Secretly, I also suspected that Pop would find some way to make me foot the entire bill. Fine, he said, slouching back on the car's hood. Why don't you just go home then and hang out with your books? After this interaction, I'd basically lost hope in improving our relationship until I discovered the alter ego, Super Tubab. One night, after returning from jogging, I sat stretching on the balcony. Pop passed by and commented that I was not lazy like other white people. You're not afraid to sweat, he said. You must not really be a tubob. No, I assured him, I'm definitely white. Well, you're more than other tubobs. Would you call me a super tubob, I asked. He chuckled, obviously pleased with this joke. Starting that afternoon, most of our encounters funneled through the Super Tubob game. Super Tubob, he asked me as I left the house, where are you going? What is your mission? <laughs> I looked him in the eye. I could tell you, Pop, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> On another occasion, I sat in the salon watching TV with the rest of the family. Pop burst through the doorway and flicked a peanut shell at me. Take that, Super Tubob, a grenade! I picked up the shell and placed it on the coffee table. Sorry, Pop, I said. No man-made bomb can hurt me. <laughs> to my relief, the Super Tubob became a way of interacting that satisfied both Pop and me. I no longer had to listen to the many reasons I should find a Senegalese lover, and Pop seemed to find me interesting, 
if not exactly what he expected from an American. Though we never bonded over conversation or shared interests, in my final weeks in Dakar, Pop and I finally connected through a shared joke and the infinite powers of the super tubab. So one of the most interesting things to observe in a new culture is always uh, how people eat and what they're eating. And Senegal is no exception. So um, on my left here, as you can see, we have the Sen Senegalese art of tea making, which they call ataya. This is a very important social activity. It's a, uh, Senegalese tea is a very strong tea, um, generally with lots of sugar in it. It's usually you cook it on a small gas or charcoal stove outside. And it's an almost ritualistic process of boiling and then frothing and then boiling and frothing. And as you can see, this frothing process involves pouring it from one very small glass to another um, until, until you build up sort of a head of bubbles on top. So once this process is done, you pass around the tea until everybody's had a small glass of tea. And usually you do this for two or three rounds. Um, Usually the first round is without sugar, and then after that you have increasing amounts of sugar, sort of. On my right side here, we have people eating around a bowl. This is how people generally eat meals in Senegal. You sit on the floor around a bowl, and everybody generally eats with their hands, or maybe a spoon, depending on, depending on the family. It can change. Um, another interesting thing about Senegalese mealtimes is they're often very late. Sometimes lunch is not until 2 or 3 in the afternoon and supper can be at 9 or 10 in the evening. In fact, one time I had supper at 12.30 in the morning. <laughs> so, the most common food is by far chebujen, which in Wolof means rice and fish. Um, and this is sort of the national dish of Senegal and it's not uncommon for people to have this for nearly every, every meal. Um, generally it's cooked with tomato sauce, sometimes without. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the fish is usually cooked whole and placed on top, so when you're eating it, you kind of pick apart the fish and pick the bones out of it. And then it has a sauce often that has lots of starchy veggies like potatoes and carrots. Um, so yeah. As probably all of you know or will know, uh, getting sick is a standard part of the SSD experience and one that's often unpleasant at the time but can provide some uh, comical and even good memories uh, later on. So here are three of our stories about getting sick in Senegal. Near the end of our time in Dakar, I got dysentery. My only experience with dysentery was through the computer game Organ Trail, so I didn't... <laughs> I didn't really know what to expect. It turned out that having dysentery meant a lot of vomiting, a lot of diarrhea, and a fever around 104 degrees. I was lucky to be tended to not only by my host mom, but by, also by Paul Boers and Emily Swara, who were with me when I fell ill and then stuck with me for the rest of that night. They bought me Sprite, mopped my brow with a wet cloth, read to me from The Little Prince, and basically kept my spirits up. My 37-year-old host brother also tended to me. He gave me a mysterious round tablet, dissolved it in water, and told me to drink it. Five minutes later, I felt incredible. <laughs> the fever had subsided, and all pain had left my body. 
I felt like I could play soccer with the kids in the street. This truly was a miracle cure. The next morning, Paul and Emily confessed to me that the miracle tablet had simply contained copious amounts of aspirin. <laughs> this explained my temporary painless high, as well as why one hour after taking it, I returned to my nasty-feeling, dysentery-ridden state. <laughs> Luckily, by the next morning, I was feeling much better. My host mom was glad and told me that she knew I was feeling better because I had started whistling again. I hadn't realized that my illness had affected my whistling habits. I was amazed how well my mom knew my little idiosyncrasies, even though our speech was often so limited. No one else who was with me mentioned my whistling, but my host mom did. I'm Erin Duller, and I got malaria on SST. <laughs> Getting sick helped me to see the difference in treatment, and especially in the reaction of malaria between the United States and Senegal. After feeling ill, feeling Ill in Senegal, I performed my own diagnostic test for malaria, something I had spent weeks doing on my service location. I was given a pack of pills and a spam and may mayonnaise sandwich as treatment. When I went home that night, I told my host mom that I was sick. She said, it's about time, and quickly <laughs> called her friends to say that her, America, or her American had finally gotten malaria. <laughs> Instead of being put to bed, she took me to a two and a half prayer meeting, two and a half hour prayer meeting. Things were much different when I returned back to the United States, still a little sick with malaria. My American mom had not taken the news as relaxed as my Senegalese mother. She had already made me an appointment with my regular doctor, which led to a trip to see an infectious disease specialist. Several blood tests and medications later, I can now say I'm malaria-free. My assignment on service was taking care of infants in an orphanage in Dakar. Um, as an option for a service assignment, uh, the shelter quickly got the name Babies with Scabies. Um, first of all, because it rhymed, and uh, second of all, because scabies are very common in places where um, people share linens and clothing. And scabies are little mites that get under your skin and itch very badly. Um, I didn't think much about scabies when I got to work at the shelter, um, even though I suspected the infants did have scabies due to the fact that some days I would come, they would have socks on their hands from, to keep them from itching, um, but I had no sign of them. I figured that I had lucked out and avoided them, so SST ended, and I went to Prague and Paris, and finally home for about a total of nine weeks, when I started to become very itchy. And um, at first I thought it was a food reaction to like chocolate or milk, um, but I wasn't sure so I went to the doctor and they determined that it was scabies. Um, I was at first surprised, um, but scabies take six or more weeks to set in um, if you're a clean person. Um, they were relatively easy to get rid of and um, they were worth being able to work at the shelter. My name is Emily Suara, and I spent my service in Kaolak, Senegal. It has been really hard for me to come up with a story from service. None of my experiences from Senegal can be wrapped neatly into a story structure, with a nice beginning, middle, and end. But in thinking about what I wanted to share with you this morning, images of some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen came to mind. I'm going to share two of them with you now. The first 
is Endless Safari. Six of us had worked really hard to put together a week-long camp program in a remote part of Senegal, and though we had tons of responsibilities to fulfill at camp, I found myself with a few moments to myself while all the campers were in class. During one of these moments, Chase, Snyder, and I snuck off from the camp to explore what was around us. We were not in a rainforest. It was much drier, but there was beauty everywhere. There were tall grasses, large trees, and plants I had never even imagined before. I was immediately afraid of stepping on a snake or disturbing a large animal because I had actually seen a monkey from my bathroom window that morning, but I couldn't force myself to turn around. Chase and I wound our way through forest, found a crazy winding stream, huge and deep footprints, and a bright red spiky flower. We started to follow what looked like a rarely taken path, and just as I began to worry about finding our way back, the jungle forest parted and a large expanse appeared. It looked a little like an exotic Pennsylvanian valley, large trees resembling baobabs, green hills, termite mounds, and not a person or sign of human life for miles. I couldn't believe that Chase and I had stumbled upon this little paradise. We sat for a while in awe of this great beauty. The next one I found in a bathroom. Well, I don't know if you can actually call it a bathroom. You probably all know what I'm talking about. It's a hole in the ground surrounded by four walls made out of vertical sticks of wood and straw with patches large enough for someone to actually see you if they really wanted to, but not large enough to actually complain about. I found myself in this bathroom in another remote village that Peter, Chase, and I had gotten to visit, and I was really worried about finding some privacy to take care of what every SST or fears. It was late at night, and I was hoping this would also provide me some cover, though everyone was still awake. As I stepped into the square and was readying myself for whatever was going to await me there, I noticed that above me, this latrine provided, the mo provided me with a better view of the stars and the universe that I had ever seen in my entire life. I know this sounds cliche, but there were millions and millions of stars. They were brighter than I had ever seen them, and there were way more than I had ever realized that there were in the sky. I had entered the latrine hoping for some privacy, and instead I found the entire universe. Um, yeah, I'm sharing another story from my service location. My name is Dirk Lichty. Uh, I had a few options to choose from when choosing my story. Uh, I was thinking about talking about, like, my 60-mile and 15-hour trip back uh, to Dakar after the end of service, or maybe the time that I crapped my pants while I was running on the beach. But... <laughs> I think the most culturally relevant story that happened to me uh, was probably our trip to see the marabou. Uh, and in Senegalese culture, the marabou is sort of like a Islamic and animist shaman or witch doctor. And their power is like really widely respected and acknowledged throughout Senegal and in all religions. Like my host family on service was Catholic and still uh, they would, they would pursue these witch doctors and their charms like uh, very seriously. Uh, and as marabou go, like there are many, many marabou in the city that will, that will give you things that, for like a cheaper price. But it, as far as marabous go, the smaller the village they come from, the more of a big deal they are. And uh, Alex and I were uh, doing our service in a village of about 500 people, so. Our guy was a big shot. 
Um, and luckily our host dad was, was friends with him, so we had an in if we needed any like potent charms or anything like that. Um, so one day uh, we got up and our host brother comes in and he's like, come on, we're going to see the marabou today. Um, so we go like, okay, and he, he'd taken us a couple times before to collect items that the marabou needed to make charms. Uh, for example, the hair of a monkey is really useful in charms to help you pass exams. Um, so he took us to the marabou and we sat down and he's really just a normal looking guy, uh, just sitting on his floor, sewing something, watching TV with 50 little kids surrounding him. Um, and he just sorts, he starts asking us like what we would like from our gri-gri or, or charms. Um, and so we, we had heard about different charms that other people around us had, and Alex ended up at, like, inquiring about something to protect you from aggressors, like protect you from physical violence. Uh, and I uh, just was looking for a simple protective charm against vampires, which is very doable. That's like a common one, like creatures of the night. Not a problem, which he told us over and over again. Like he was very optimistic about his ability to make these things for us. He's like, yeah, like definitely, I can do that. And the translation was, communication was difficult, um, but he managed to make it clear like what he could do for us. Um, the charm to protect against aggressors, it would be like a belt that you would wear, and anytime anyone tried to attack you, they would fall down and would not be able to get up until you touched them with your foot, or you, you could also like hit them with your sandal. And he, <laughs> That was like a sticking point. It must have been like a really special aspect of that charm because he told us that like you can also hit them with your sandal. Like every time we seemed hesitant about it, like you know you can also hit them with your sandal. Okay. <laughs> and and so we we were talking about this for a while, and it got down to the uh, like the question of price, and we we didn't go there like interested in buying anything. Um, but this guy was, uh, was accustomed to selling his things for a pretty high price. And what he quoted us was uh, 100,000 uh, francs, which is about $250 for both of them, <laughs> but considerably more than either of us had with us or were willing to pay. Uh, and most like, an average like daily wage for for a manual laborer in Senegal is about two thousand or five dollars. So that's uh, a pretty big investment that uh, that people do often make. Um, so we didn't end up getting those those charms. But that same day we were walking to the cyber cafe um, along the road, and I found like a discarded grigri. Uh, that was essentially visually exactly how I had imagined mine looking. So I just sort of took it as providence that like, like, hey, like this must be to ward off vampires. So <laughs> I took it and I held onto it and I, I, I kept it with me most of service. Um, sort of grew sentimentally attached to it. And I didn't find out until we got back to Dakar during the retreat that if you find a discarded grigri, um, it actually has the opposite effect of what it was intended to have. So, I didn't get attacked by any vampires.
Hi, I'm Deirdre Jorowitz, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Senegalese music. Um, the first thing that we noticed when we got to Senegal and Dakar is just how much music there is in the culture. Um, it's full of music. Each day is broken into fragments by the call of the imam from the closest mosque. Karapids pass from time to time playing Islamic chant music. Taxis bless Mbalakh radio stations. Mbalakh is a local genre that's a fusion of African and popular music that's Western-influenced. Images of Bob Marley, Akon, and Celine Dion are everywhere. And even on service, I was blown away when sitting with Grant after supper in the evenings, and we could hear the drums from the nearest village that was having the biggest party. Everyone was a musician. What struck me the most was the rhythms. In churches while singing hymns, instead of clapping on the downbeat like we do in the West, for example, like this, they would do some kind of syncopation, and hopefully I can do this and sing at the same time. And they would do this naturally. People also sang all the time. While working, playing, or just hanging out, they would be singing. So in the spirit of this singing, we are now going to sing for you a relatively simple Senegalese song in Wolof and French. It's called Yala Bachna, which means our God is good. And you can feel free to join us if you feel so led, but we won't force you to sing it with us. ST when we were in Dakar, I was laying in my bed on a Friday night, feeling a little bit like, I don't know, depressed, because I knew other people from the group were like doing stuff and I wasn't invited. Um, <laughs> but I decided that, that wasn't a good uh, use of my time, so I decided to go for a walk and I told my host family they gave me the key to the house and then I left and uh, about quarter of the way through my walk, for some reason I felt the inclination to like go to the other side of the street and walk on that side of the street. Uh, as I'm walking on that side of the street, a group of people sitting by the outside of a cafe ask me to come sit and drink a tie. So I sit and drink a tie with them, and they inform me that they're part of a drum and dance group, and so invited me to come watch them teach children how to dance at a, uh, a local orphanage. And I go, and it was just a really good experience to watch the different music, and they invite me to come to their practices, and I actually attend them several times. Um, they tried to get me to dance, and I'd be kind of watching from this side. And so I tried, but 
some of the rhythms don't exactly mesh with uh, American bodies, but I couldn't really figure it out. I did get one move, though. It was kind of like... <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, uh, but that seemed to be like a recurring theme that we never really quite figured out what the rhythm was, but there were always plenty of Senegalese people willing to show us at the same ridiculously high speed. The second half of SST, Alana and I lived in a small village called Ndumbo. Um, and one of the most amusing things for my family, the four ladies we worked with, and our sister's friends, was trying to get us two bobs to dance. And they would do these rapid dances and expect us to learn how to do this immediately. And they look kind of like this. This is a terrible interpretation. It's like... Um, and often on our way to work in the morning, the four old ladies that we lived with would call out to us, fetch, fetch, which in Wolof means dance, dance, and would start clapping expectantly for the specific dance. Right there. <laughs> um, and we also often attended high school dances with our sisters. And what can I say? Never have I experienced so much dancing with hip thrusts. One of my favorite days was when the middle-aged women that we worked with tried to teach us how to properly shake our butts. All right, now that we've talked about dysentery and sickness and weird food, weird food uh, I'd like to say my SST experience was awesome. And even with scary experiences like visiting a medical facility and getting a shot in your butt for, uh, to prevent vomiting, it, I think our whole group would agree that it's still a very worthwhile experience. You're dismissed. <laughs>